Um, We turn back to Galatians chapter 3, and I want to read the passage we um, looked at last week, which is verses 1 through 6, and we're going to be reading verses 7 through 9 as well. So Galatians chapter 3, we'll start with verse number 1 and work through um, verse 9. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, reads this way. It says this, O foolish Galatians, how's that for a start? O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are in the sons of Abraham in the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Praise the Lord for his word this morning. Our Father, we do give thanks to you. We thank you so much for not only the written word of God, that we can learn more about you, that we can hear of the gospel, that we can learn instructions for us to live a godly life that can be pleasing to you. But we thank you for the living word, the living word that we sang about that can bring bring about redemption in our life, the living word that paid for our death on the cross, paid for our sins. Father, we rejoice and we give thanks, even amidst such a tragic thing, that Christ, the one who lived perfectly, the one who did not deserve death, would go to the cross. Lord, to reveal your love for us, to symbolize your grace extended towards each and every one of us, Lord, this is the gospel, and this is the gospel that we proclaim. We proclaim Christ crucified, yet risen from the dead, victorious, reigning at your side today. So, Father, won't you do a work in our lives today as we examine the scripture, as we consider the truths of your word that really need to impress upon our heart reminders, Lord, things that we have maybe forgotten or not living our life according to. Lord, your word that can impress upon our hearts new truths and new realities of ways that we have yet to respond to you in. Lord, whether that's for salvation or whether it's for our sanctification, Lord, for our holiness, we ask that you would do that work in our lives today for your glory, Lord, for the building of your kingdom and for the extending of it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we had some reminders last week and there were some questions and Paul, in writing his letter to the Galatians, asked this, he said, I just want to ask this one thing of you. And then he went to continue asking multiple questions. And we need to be reminded of a few of these things. And even as Tate um, pointed us to remembering Jesus and keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, that we need to remember um, some of the important questions and points found in verses 1 through 6. So if you would, if you would consider in your, in your handout, you'll see, Verse 2 says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
And why was this question important? Why was Paul posing this question to the Galatian church? He knew the answer. They knew the answer. But they were believing something else. They were believing a different truth. Verse 2, the question that Paul asked them is just, is on the, it's coming on the tails of the question and the reminder that Christ was portrayed to them publicly. In fact, Christ crucified. And what's the value and the importance of Christ crucified? Christ died for our death, for our sins. He paid the price that we could never pay, that we would have to spend eternity paying for. There's nothing that we can do in this life, and there's nothing we could do in eternity apart from suffering and enduring the wrath of God to pay for our sins. But Christ did that for us. So why was Paul asking the Galatians this question? In verse 3, he says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He reminds them and points them back to how they were saved, that it was the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ was crucified for their sin. And now they were trying to live a different life. They were falling back into works of the law. They were trying to do things in their own strength that they could never do to earn their own salvation, right? We know that man's works will always fall short. Galatians 2.16 was our verse that reminds us of that, that no one will be justified in the sight of God by us obeying the law, right? We could never do it perfectly. And if we, fall, if we fail on one point of the law, then we are sinners and we're deserving of God's wrath. So Paul calls them out, calls them out of their foolishness, right? Their works couldn't save them. They began by the Spirit. They were saved by the work of the Spirit in their life not by their own works of the law. They're God's miracles, right? God's the one who did this work in them, the supernatural work of salvation. Yet God wants to continue doing a work in their lives, and he wants to continue doing a work in our lives for those who have responded in faith to the hearing of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 12, we were reminded of last week, again, verse 2. But I want to remember, I want us to recall verse 1. And I'll just read it for us this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, if you know the book of Hebrews, you'll know that Hebrews 11 is what we call the hall of faith, right? People who have trusted in Christ, people who are believing the good news of the gospel and not relying upon themselves. Their faith produced works. Right? There was evidence of them believing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's who these witnesses are, those who had a faith in God, who believed and trusted God, that God would do what he said he would do. So that's this crowd. Then Paul said, or the author of, of Hebrews, whoever it might be, it might be Paul, might not be, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So in view of those witnesses that who have had a faith in God, that believed in God, let us also, like they did, lay aside every weight. These, these laws that were holding them down. But also the sin, the ways that they fell short. Right? These things that want to cling to them so closely. So putting those things aside, in view of the, the hall of faith, all those who have truly believed and trusted in the work of God before for salvation in their lives, in view of all those things, what does he say? 
He charges them to run with endurance the race that is set before them. And how do they do that? How do they live that life that God has called them to? He says, look to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder, right? There's that reminder again. It's in Christ that we have salvation. The founder and the perfecter of our faith, as Pastor Joe reminded us this morning before we took the elements. It's this founder and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I like this verse and in different translation, it refers to the founder and perfecter as the author and perfecter or even the originator and finisher of our faith. We can trust and believe in God at work in our lives. So is Paul calling the Galatians to inactivity? Is he calling them to live their life however they want and not worry about the law? We talked about this as well in weeks past, right? Paul isn't calling the Galatian church to inactivity in observance of the commands, but he is calling them the declared righteous ones to live by faith. So today we're going to be considering those of faith and what it means to live by faith. And so we look back, we look at our passage today, and it starts with two interesting words. It starts in verse 7, it says, Know then that it is those of faith. Well, what is that know then referring back to? It's referring to the truths that Paul was calling them out on and reminding them of in verses 1 through 6. Know then Believing God, as verse 6 says, Abraham, it was counted, counting it to him as righteousness. It was not Abraham's works of obedience that made him holy. It wasn't Abraham's works of obedience that made him holy. Rather, his works were his belief in God put to action, right? His works didn't make him holy. Christ's works made him holy. But it was his belief in God that put things to action, If you would turn over to James chapter 2 for us. James chapter 2, verse 21 through 24. We're going to be looking at a few different passages before we even jump into our three verses today. James chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 21. Because this will challenge our thinking, and it will challenge possibly our understanding of even these three verses that we're looking at today. And some of you are already familiar with this passage and it's like, okay, where are we going to go with this? How are we going to put these things together? Because they seem on the outside, maybe conflicting. But we'll see the beauty of the scripture of how they're complementary and of how they actually explain even more the single truths and verses. So we, to the look, we look to the scripture for understanding. We ask the Lord for his wisdom. James chapter 2, verse 21 starts this way. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Now that question is, there's a statement in there and and that almost seems contradictory to what we just read. But let's read on. It says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And that last word, not by faith alone, not faith without any works. 
This is going to challenge us in our thinking. But we look back to the scriptures for more explanation. So Abraham's works gave evidence of his trust in God, his belief in God, his understanding of the gospel. The gospel that was spoken to him, and we'll talk more about that as verse 8 explains it. So Abraham shows us his faith at work. His belief bore the spiritual fruit of obedience to God. Does your belief, does your faith bear the spiritual fruit of obedience to God? The spiritual fruit of his, God's Holy Spirit living within you. So we learn today that those of faith in God are sons of Abraham. Sons of the promise God gave to Abraham. And with that, we're co-partakers and benefactors of Jesus' perfect life and his sacrificial act on the cross. For you, for me. If you would turn over to Romans chapter 4, because this will help us in understanding. Romans chapter 4, we're going to read starting in verse 9. Romans chapter 4. It reads this way, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So there we have it again. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. This is the Galatian church. It's us as Gentiles. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. What a beautiful truth that is. Verse 12 goes on to inform us, and to make him the father, Abraham, of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So what's happening here? What, what are we being told of? We're being told that the faith that was counted to Abraham as righteousness was one that was apart from works. Apart from works of the law, he obeyed God. He did get circumcised but that was after he was already counted. It was already counted to him as righteousness. If we skip down to verse 20 in Romans, in Romans chapter 4, it says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Abraham had faith and he believed. And he believed what God had promised would come into being. Now he did mess up on how that would come to happen, as we know the account. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Is your belief in you being able to do what God has promised? Or is it in what God has promised to do? Verse 27, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, because he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, Jesus, who raised from the dead, in God the Father, who raised Jesus from our Lord, who was delivered up 
for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What beautiful truths and reminders of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God's promise to Abraham, how it extends to all mankind. I've titled our message today, Those of Faith, and we see that a few times in our passage today. But even as Pastor Joe reminded us, leading up to taking the Lord's elements together, the important question is, are you of the faith? Are you considered one of those of faith? How do you know? What evidence in your life is there of being those of faith? What are you believing in or where where is disbelief or unbelief in your life? We'll have some questions like I always like to ask at the end of our time together. And they're questions for each and every single one of us today. But before I start on our text today, the question is, are you someone who can say that you are of the faith in Jesus Christ? Have you begun by the Spirit your life in Christ? Are you now walking by the Spirit? And alike as Galatians 5 says, are you in step with the Spirit? Has your life gotten out of sync with what God's desire and his will and his ways are for you? Is the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the one who died in your place, providing his righteousness to be yours, is this good news of Jesus Christ also true for your Christian walk with the Lord today? So today our passage is going to challenge us to really think that if we are truly, by faith, the children of the living God. Down to verse 9, back to Galatians 3, if you want to turn back that way. Verse 7 and 9 are bookended with those of faith. Those of faith are blessed sons of Abraham. And so before we even start considering what this faith in Christ looks like, we need to really understand what the word faith actually means. And to this, again, we turn to the scriptures. I love it when God's word says something is because it's giving us the definition. So where do we find this? Well, I talked about the hall of faith, so we're going to go back to Hebrews 11, or you'll just recall this verse, possibly. Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Well, that is a really helpful definition for us, right? An assurance of things that you're hoping for or that you're believing in. It's also the conviction of things not seen, that you have a right understanding and a right belief in the things that you can't even see, that maybe you haven't seen come to fruition yet, but you know that God has promised it. I added a few words in terms to this definition that on their own are not fully defining and helpful, but I think together collectively can help bring clarity. So faith is belief. People in this world believe all kinds of things, right? Where is it placed? A trust that is fully convinced, right? It's not 99.9 repeating convinced. It's 100% convinced. In fact, so much that there's an impossibility of failure or something that absolutely always will come to pass because God is not a liar. And what he says is true. What he promises will come to be, will come to pass. 
So faith is that 100% confidence that is seen in your responses, words, and actions. And we saw that from Abraham, right? His belief was put into action. So Galatian church, are you so foolish? Canyon Bible church, are we so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are, ne- are we now living according to the Spirit in step with the Spirit? Or, we have fallen, or have we fallen back into the works of our own flesh? So what we know about faith from this passage and the Scriptures is important and it's valuable and it's defining and it's, it's clarifying for us. Faith is mentioned four times in our three verses today and hearing with faith is mentioned two times in the verses that we read and studied last week. So what does it mean to hear with faith? It's to listen and respond, believing God and his word. So we respond by the working of the Spirit, not in our observation of the law. What might be contrary to hearing with faith? What would it look like to hear with faith? Could be to just be looking at observing the law, to see it inform our minds that we actually learn of some things that we need to be doing and all of a sudden our behavior is modified. You know, the behavior modification. And there's a warning in our text last week and this week. That behavior modification without heart transformation is to do works without abiding or trusting in Jesus. Without relying on the Spirit of God to be producing his fruit so that others might see God at work in you, that they might see God manifested, right? His power, his glory, right? When people see the good works that we do, who gets the praise? Does God get the praise or do we get the praise? If we get the the praise, how quick are we to deflect it to the Lord God Almighty, who's the only one who could produce anything good within me and within you? So what's the encouragement to us in this? It's that by hearing with faith, our hearts are changed because we see the truth and we believe it. We believe the Lord God in faith that he will do, that he will empower us to do the miraculous, to do the works that apart from him that we cannot do. Hebrews 11.1 describes what faith is with us and 11.6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The reward is being able to see God at work within us today. Right? To see his glory even as we look back at the testimony of our life and go, Lord, that had to be you. Because I know that in my flesh I never would have done that. I never would have said that. Or I, would never, I never would have not said that or not done that. But praise to you and thanks to you, Lord God. So verse 7, point number 1 in your outline, and we're getting there. (laughs) Those who believe God by hearing with faith are God's chosen family. Those who believe God are God's chosen family. What does this even mean? And sometimes we read a word like chosen and we get, we're like, oh, what's he going to say about that? Well, we turn to the scripture once again. What does it mean to be chosen? It's pretty awesome to be chosen. I don't know if any of you ever were chosen to to be on a team, a sports team, right? You line everybody up and say, okay, I'm going to pick this person, I'm going to pick that person. It's awesome to be chosen. That's a blessing. 
but to be chosen from God, by God, that's incredible that God would choose us. Ephesians chapter 1 lays out some truths for us of what it, this looks like. Verse 3 through 5, you can turn there or I'll read it for you and you can listen along. Sometimes it's helpful for us just to hear it out loud. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. What do these verses tell us about being God's chosen family? It tells us that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So before the foundation of this world was even put into place, God had a plan. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So choosing us in Christ knowing that we actually would fall short, that we would sin against him and need a savior, God chose us. He made a way. Not only that, he predestined us for adoption. I know there's many that are adopted today into your, into your families. What a blessing that is to be chosen and adopted. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have been adopted as well. We've been chosen by God to be part of the family of God. And he did all this to the purpose of his will. What was God's plan? What was his desire for us that he would actually choose us to be part of his family? We'll talk more about that. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? Jesus in our place. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So if you have been declared righteous because you've responded to the hearing of the word with faith, you've placed your trust that you believe God's promises to be true, you're called to live by faith. We just define what it is. We just define that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Are you living by faith? this morning. The promise to Abraham in his offering that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, didn't come through obedience to the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's what Romans 4.13 tells us. So verse 7 tells us that, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So it was Abraham believing God that he was declared righteous, right? Just as Paul and Abraham received the Spirit by hearing with faith, so too every anyone of faith, so too anyone of faith in God who believes in him are also God's promised descendants of Abraham. That's what it means to be part of God's chosen family. It's not those who do without faith, but those who do because of faith. When you look at your actions, when the look you look at the works of your life. Is it the things that you do or is it your faith? I'll say that again. It's not those who do without faith, but those who do because of faith. Let's turn back to James chapter 2. 
There's some more in James chapter 2 that I think is going to be helpful for us to consider and to think on. We'll start in verse 14. And we're going to read possibly through verse 26. We'll see how we do in in view of time. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? I'm going to read that question again. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? When we come before the Lord, is he going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you? People say, no, look at all these things we did for you. We did them in your name. It's like, I don't know you. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So your faith, if it truly began by the Spirit, are you seeing the Spirit in your life today, doing the works that God would like to do in your life? That he saved you for? Reading on. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe God, that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you believe, but don't see any works? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And it reads on with the passage that we read earlier. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Number two in your outline, God in his mercy extends his grace. He extends his grace beyond Abraham and the Israelites, offering to all mankind through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God in his mercy that extends his grace to all mankind through the good news of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit inspiring the scriptures declared promises, tells us of prophecies throughout the scriptures. And it's the scriptures knowing that God would not only justify Abraham and not only him and his descendants, but also all mankind, he preached the good news to Abraham that in Abraham all the nations would be blessed. That truly is good news for us who are Gentiles. But it's good news for all of us. God would also justify the Gentiles by faith in the same way like Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. So God's plan that all nations would be blessed through Abraham did not demand a different way for them to be saved didn't demand a different way for them actually to receive this blessing from God? What was the blessing? The blessing was the blessing of justification. And it would come to all who believe the good news of Jesus, the Christ, right? Jesus, the anointed one of God. Romans chapter 3, 
verse 23 is a verse that we might be all maybe too familiar with, that we don't even think about its importance and its value to each and every single one of us. But in the following verses, it speaks to this truth of Jesus the Christ being the just and the justifier. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Each and every single one of us here have sinned. We've sinned against a holy God. That means that we have been disobedient to him. It means that we haven't 100% followed his ways and his commands. We've sinned against him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. How does this grace, how does this redemption, how does this justification received? It's a gift by God. A gift of grace received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, right? It didn't reveal our righteousness. It showed God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins, the ways that we had sinned against him. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is just and he is the justifier, but specifically he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you're not trusting in Christ to be your savior, to have paid the penalty of your sin, then God is not making you just in Christ. So in that passage, we're reminded that God in his mercy extends his grace beyond Abraham and the Israelites, and he offers his, his grace to all mankind through the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, how, will, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Are you hearing the good news of Jesus Christ in faith and believing God that what he promised is true? You had the opportunity to hear the gospel, and we'll talk about it more yet in our time this morning. But who do you know who has not heard yet the gospel, or at least who has not responded to the gospel in faith? Might you be the one who gets to share the gospel with them? Might you be an answer to somebody else's prayer that, that this person that you have the opportunity to share the gospel with has been clothed with someone else's prayer so that their heart is ready to receive the word that you will speak? that will be implanted in their very heart for a new transformation, that they would have a new heart by God. Ephesians 1, 6 through 10 says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Are you making known to others the mystery of God's will, the good news of Jesus Christ? God is the one who would justify all mankind through their hearing with faith. 
as we look at verse 8, again, we're reminded that the scriptures preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What is this gospel? There's a, a group of us that have been having some, what I'd call gospel conversations over the last month or so. And the last time we got together, we, we kind of simplified the gospel, not with its fullness of detail and depth, but as a starting off place to be able to explain it to other people. And it was the simplicity of the statement, Jesus in my place. Now that doesn't explain the fullness of the good news of Jesus Christ, because good news is what the gospel says. But what can we communicate and what can we share jumping out from that simple truth, yet a powerful, profound truth that Jesus in my place. Paul later on in Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus in my place. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And that's who we were. We should have been the one hanging on the cross, paying for our sin. But Christ took our place. God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, right? Christ died for us. Jesus in my place. Since therefore we've now been justified by Christ's blood, not my own blood, we can't justify ourselves, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's amazing to consider that Jesus, God incarnate, would take our place on the cross. Not only did Jesus die in our place, but when we hear and respond in faith to the truth and the realities of Christ dying in our place, he comes and takes up residence in us. Paul, more than 160 times in the epistles and in his letters, writes about being in Christ or being united in Christ. For those who have trusted in Christ, Christ now indwells us and we get to see him at work. Well, what was Paul's ministry? Paul was a disciple maker. He was was a proclaimer of the gospel. He preached Christ crucified. And if we flip back or flip forward to Colossians 1, 27 through 29, we read of this hope and we read of Paul's activity. And so for those of us who are saved, we start to look and we say, okay, what is my life of a disciple, me being a disciple, what does it look like and what should it look like? Paul says in Colossians 1.27, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's incredible to consider that Christ, God, would come and dwell within his people, that we would become this holy temple, that God's spirit could come and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sin and trust in him. But Paul goes on, he continues. He says, him we proclaim, this Jesus, the one who now indwells us, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Disciples growing in obedience to the Lord, growing in their love for the Lord, seeing their faith and their trust in God, their belief in the good news of God, making a heart change in their life. And so how does Paul go about doing this, trying to strive and to present everyone mature in Christ? 
Verse 29, for this I toil. Okay, so he's working hard. He's struggling. He even goes on to say, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul knew that he couldn't be a part of this ministry in his own strength, that he would fall short, that he would fail, that it's God who does the work in each and every single person. Paul, in the, to the letter, in the letter to the Ephesian church, says, Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. That was the message that Paul was entrusted to by God. And we're familiar with John 15. We've talked about it in the, in the past weeks. I'd encourage you to read and be reminded of John 15, 1 through 7, the vine and the branches the reality of that apart from abiding in Christ and him and you, him dwelling within you and you taking up your strength and your life in Christ, that apart from him, you can do nothing, nothing of value, nothing of eternal value and nothing of um, spiritual value for those who you might be discipling. Even our memory verse, Galatians 2.20, reminds us that it's no longer I who live, but who is it that lives in us? It's Christ who lives in us, who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. So the life we now live, we live by faith and according to the faith and according to the power of Christ within us. So Christians are united with Jesus for the glory of God and the further proclamation of Jesus to the world. Jesus in your place. That's God's desire for you. Not that you would be saved and just live however you want to and keep on doing the, the things that you've always done. But that he's got a whole new plan for you and it's perfect. And it will be a struggle. It will be a challenge. But when you get to see God at work in your life, you get to be encouraged by seeing him, seeing him manifested rather than your flesh. Rather than you falling into the trappings of the desires of your flesh. Verse 9 so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What do we see here? Really, that all who respond in faith are justified. They're blessed, like Abraham was through hearing with faith. There's no one outside the scope of the good news of Jesus Christ. Anyone can be of faith. Anyone can believe in Jesus' salvific work on their behalf before the Father. And these believers are blessed in the same way that Abraham was. Through faith, they're blessed. God's blessings of salvation are available to all who truly believe, even as, again, Pastor Joe reminded us this morning of. Believing, that, and believing in the same way that Abraham believed produces work of faith and a God-glorifying obedience. Are you trusting in Christ? Are you trusting in God's plan for your life? If you are, then what are we to do? Well, firstly, if you are saved, it should be producing a great amount of joy in your life. Because your eyes are fixed on Jesus and you're, they're fixed on being with him one day, but also realizing and seeing how he's powerfully at work in your life today. Are you rejoicing? Are you giving thanks? And not dependent on your circumstances, right? So often we think that the joy is a direct result of what you're walking through and what you're going through. 
If we turn back to James chapter 1, verse 2, we reminded that we're to consider it all joy. What? When we encounter things that are pleasing to us, when life is going smooth, it says when you encounter trials of various kinds, God will produce a great work in you. What does he do in your life as you walk through these trials with your eyes fixed on Jesus? You get to see how the Lord has not only authored this salvation work within you, but he's perfecting you, right? He's showing you how maybe your desires might still be in part on the things of this world. As you look at your circumstances and you get discouraged or depressed, maybe you feel defeated. Your eyes are on the problem. Your eyes are on the trial of life that you're walking through, and you may have deep, real trials. They may be physical, they may be emotional, they may be spiritual. But fix your eyes on Jesus because he wants to perfect you through it. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus who not only will perfect you, but he will glorify you. What a day that will be. That will be incredible when we are in our glorified bodies, when we no longer deal with the sin-cursed world, when we're in his presence and we sing as we sang this morning, holy, holy, holy. So we rejoice, but we also obey. Right? We read this morning, James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And again, Pastor Joe reminded us of Jesus' commandment to the disciples that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Does your faith have works of the Spirit? Not fleshly works, not your own striving and abiding in your own strength to produce some kind of obedience, some kind of behavior modification. But are the works that you do in obedience to the law of God, are they powered by God himself? So the, leading, the ending question for us to walk through, and it's a question that in reality really only has two answers to it. And so our response will be according to how we, we answer this question. You'll see it in your handout. Are you one who has responded in faith to the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The same question that we started with. Have you responded in faith? That is, we define what faith was, right? It's a, a full belief, a confidence, an assurance that God is who he said he is, that he will never lie, that the promises that he has available to all of those who hear and believe, who hear in faith, will come to be. If you can say yes to this question, then I'll challenge you this way. In view of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the good news, what do you need to believe today? What does the good news need to speak truth into your life? And the question I, I wrote down on the handout is a little, little backwards in its wording, so you can ignore that. But what is God speaking to your heart today? What is he saying that you're not really believing the gospel can impact that area of your life? What do you need to change? Are you abiding in Christ and him in you? Then let faith in God produce its God-honoring fruit of obedience, right? As we see in Abraham, he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, but then what did he do? He acted on his belief. He acted on the faith that he had in God's promises. 
If your answer to the question, are you one who has yet to respond in faith to the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If your answer is not yet, then I would plead with you today. I would plead with you to consider God's love for you shown through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus in your place. And what is the response? How do you respond to this good news that Jesus died for your sin? That Jesus made a way that you could never, that you could never pay for by good works here on this earth and that you would never pay for in eternity being in God's presence. The first thing that you need to do is confess your sin. Admitting that you are a sinner. Admitting that you have disobeyed God. That's what sin is. Disobedience against God. Where do you go from this confession of sin? Well, you turn to God in repentance. Repentance means to turn from your own selfishness, your own ways, your own disobedience to God, and turning to Jesus. Turning to what he has commanded, his instruction and his direction. So what do we do with this confession and repentance? Well, we now fix our eyes on Jesus, believing in Jesus as God saving you from paying for your sins. It's the hope that we can have in Christ, that he already paid the debt that we could never pay. So our belief in Jesus means that we trust in God, right? That we have faith in God, that he will do what he says, that he has done what he says if he is saving you even today. Believe in Jesus as God saving you from paying for your own sins. Trusting in God that in Christ you are justified, just like Abraham was, just like any other believer here was, not from their own works, not because they finally cleaned up their life, but because Jesus lived the perfect life. And that through faith, that can be applied to you. What does Jesus command us then to do? He says, go and sin no more. We're like, oh, so if I'm saved, I'm never going to sin again. No, his command is to go and sin no more. Give no license, give no allowance in your life for sin, right? Sometimes you make excuses, well, hey, on this side of glory, on this side of the, of the grave, I'm going to fall short. And so we think passively to the sin in our life. We think passively to God's commands and instruction for us. We say, ah, I don't need to really obey that command because, you know, Jesus died for that sin. He did. Are you going to cheapen his death on the cross by saying, I'm good, I'm good with this sin, 1 John chapter 3 has some real warnings for each and every one of us that we can look back at our life and say, yeah, that's a practice of sin in my life. And practice meaning a pattern. It doesn't mean that you do it 24-7, but you might look at your life and say, this is something I fall into repeatedly. Something that Christ has died for. Why do I keep on doing that? So we go and sin no more we obey his commands. We're to tell others about Jesus. The good news is not something to hold tight to and not to share with others. Tell others about Jesus in their place. When people come to salvation, we need to remind them of the gospel, right? For their sanctification. We need to remind them of the command to make disciples, right? Teaching them to observe all that God has commanded, right? When we see them learning about what God has commanded, we see them take steps of obedience, like baptism, right? We see them take steps of obedience by actually making disciples themselves, right? So when we come to Christ, we're now disciple makers. 
Well, you might say, no, I'm not in a season of discipleship right now. I don't need to disciple. I did that last year. Or I've retired now, and so I get to come and receive but not give. We're to make disciples continually throughout our lifetime, right? We get to preach the gospel to each and every person that we encounter each day, and we get to do that in so many different ways. So as I close our time today, I want us to consider that question. Are you one who can say, I'm included with those of faith, right? Those of faith that actually can see some, some works because of what God has done in your life and what God is doing in your life today. Let me bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we're thankful. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for your love for us. We're thankful that in your love, you chose us. Lord, that you predestined us, that you elected us, that you adopted us, that you made a way which was impossible for us to be made right in your sight. Heavenly Father, you loved us so deeply and so intimately and so personally that you would send your Son, that he would become flesh, that he would live perfectly, that he would live the righteous life, meaning that he always obeyed you. He always did your will. Lord, we have never done that. We've never gone through one day where we always obeyed you and did your will. But you provided Jesus that he could be the payment for our sin debt. Lord, that in his one sacrifice on the cross that our sins could be paid for. Lord, that Jesus imputed righteousness, that his, this transaction of Jesus actually, his righteousness being who we can become and who we are. Lord, that it is assigned to our ledger. Lord, that our debt is erased. Lord, that we abound in the life that he has. Lord, that the joy set before Christ, Lord, would come to be realized in our life. Lord, he suffered so that we might experience joy. Lord, for those of us who are walking through trials and tribulations today, we always need to be reminded to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We're thankful that he's the perfecter and he's also the one who authored our, our very salvation into being. He made a way. So Lord, we pray for those who maybe today are considering their, their own walk with you and are challenged to say, Lord, I, I don't see the fruit. I don't see the fruit of really trusting and believing in you. Or Lord, to those who have, can say, you know, I'm not one of those of the faith. Lord, the response is the same. We need to confess our sin. Lord, we need to turn from it and turn to Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus. We need to believe the good news that Jesus did pay the, the full penalty of my sin against you and receive the gift of salvation to believe in Jesus. Lord, won't you do that work in each and every one of our lives today that we would be refreshed and be reminded of the hope of glory Lord, that we can be in your presence, that we can sing holy, holy, holy forevermore. We thank you and we give, thank you, we give thanks for your word in Christ's name. Amen.